Mr. DeBella, how you doing, man? Great, man. Happy Saturday morning, British Open. <laughs> British Open? Yeah, it's a golf tournament. So I'm going to go home when we, once we get done with this and watch some golf. Don't we have the uh, Women's World Cup as well? Yeah, Women's World Cup starting as well, yeah. Did, did the U.S. win yesterday against Vietnam? I don't know. I didn't watch. I have to assume they won. And you're the sports guy. Like, this, yeah, literally, this is what you do. I will watch Women's World Cup, uh, A, if it's tolerable to my wife, but B, if it gets, once they get to the elimination rounds. Once, oh. they, once it's like live or die. Right, right. Okay. I got you. I got you. Okay, cool. So we're going to go see Oppenheimer on Monday. I'm excited about the movie. I'm a big, I'm a big Nolan fan. Huge Nolan fan. I think everybody is because he's the only director that makes movies that make sense. And he's only, I think, director to tell producers and people who are giving him the money to F off, let me do my thing. So <laughs> I'm excited for him to uh, do his thing. Uh, but the, big, the other big news is Barbie this weekend. And you're going to go see Barbie with your wife? Yeah, we, we haven't bought the tickets for that one yet, but I'm de we're definitely going to go. She's been talking about it for months. This is they, they released this two movies on the same day, Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> and like when I bought the tickets for Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer's getting like only has like one third of the theaters that like Barbie has. Like Barbie, they got showings every 45 minutes in like every theater. And Oppenheimer is not that much, so that's pretty interesting to me. But I also think that's because Barbie is generational, right? I think little girls will want to go see Barbie, and I think 70-year-old people might want to go see Barbie. Barbie and Ken been been around a long time, you know, so I think I could see why Barbie has more of the theaters. Yeah, I don't know, man. I think that maybe it's also like the... Um the theaters as well like remember uh, Oppenheimer is shot in like 77 millimeter film and it's supposed to be watched in IMAX and you know that's what they're kind of promoting for it so maybe in Oppenheimer to be honest with you I look for tickets and before we decided we we're gonna go together and we could, I couldn't find any of them they're sold out like for the first week and they were, they were sold out for a week out so yeah I'm sure both movies will be the most maybe maybe the most tickets bought watched in theater since COVID because COVID kind of you know, like that's killed, a possibility. Yeah, like killed movie theaters or whatever. But um, I just think Barbie, they probably want, you know, everybody that wants it, it's probably got a wider audience than Oppenheimer. So I think it, you know, you gotta, if, if people are buying, you gotta take their money. It's funny that, that Barbie is being already politicized, and it probably is because I know that they're trying to say something when they're made the movie. There's a lot to say with Barbie. Barbie is a political. A political conversation. Who, 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 who explain exactly who's uh, politicizing it? Was I? I don't. I don't want to get. The, I don't want to spoil the movie. I don't want to get the movie spoiled. Well, from what what I heard again, I haven't seen the movie. I've just seen a lot of people talk. I've seen people talk about it. Heard uh, you know rumblings about the movie, but we have to go back into Barbie. Barbie being who Barbie is as a female with you know big titties, big ass, you know yada yada, small waist. They got all Barbies. They have Barbies of all. Well, that is the, that, well, that's part of the conversation of the evolution of Barbie, right? You know what I'm saying? So like, I so I heard that that the movie has part of that in there, like the evolution of everybody's Barbie now, like because there's the blonde hair, blue eye, traditional Barbie. Then there's the you know other Barbies that are in there. If you have you know the black Barbie, the, the beauty and all, yeah, one hundred percent. I one hundred percent agree. So there's that conversation within the movie. There's a conversation of the patriarchy, matriarchy, the uh, like women empowerment and um you know that sort of conversation within the movie there is so i, I so i think that is just a whole conversation about barbie's timeline ever since the beginning of barbie 
is being portrayed kind of in, a, in the movie somehow and obviously with the lens of contemporary cultural conversations, which obviously you get, you get people from both sides coming out and watching the movie going like, you're doing it right, that's the way to do it. And then you have the, the, the other side going like, oh, that's just bullshit. You're, demas you're, you're I heard demasculating men with the movie. There is a lot of, it's like super woke and all kinds of things. So, I mean, Barbie is to be politicized because it is a political conversation as much as it is a, a toy, but it's a, it's a cultural icon. And I think that's what they're portraying in the movie is the cultural iconness of the movie. Now you can take it however you want. I haven't seen it, but that's what I'm hearing is happening. Well, maybe you should come to that one when me and my wife go. <laughs> I really don't want to see Barbie. It's one of those movies that I would probably see if I... See at home on TV or See something. at home on TV or Netflix. I might rent it for a five ninety nine. I don't want to spend it in the movie theater watching Barbie. Like, there's well, no... Uh, a couple dynamics. I actually kind of have fun. Like, kind of before I was into Star Wars, my friends were into Star Wars. And, like, going to the the second trilogy, you know, episodes one through three, I got a kick out of going and seeing that culture, you know, all dressed up oh, I love in the that. theaters. Well, that's what's happening with Barbie. Oh, really? So, yes. Da like dads are taking their daughters. They're dressed up in pink with skirts and all this. And like, you know, the themes are out and about. The theme, right. the theme is out and about. And I, th I just think that's a really fun thing to do with your community. Um, so yeah, because I don't care about the, again, my mom had Barbies. My wife wants to see it. I never played with Barbie and Ken's as kids or nothing like that, but I had the Ninja Turtle toys. You know what I mean? I'm, so it's not necessarily my jam. Well, you know Ninja Turtles is coming out with a new movie this year. I do. I want to see that. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited for that one. Okay, well, we'll go to that one then uh, without and, my wife probably. <laughs> but again, there's, there's going to be a lot of spin on that one too because they made uh, April O'Neil black. Okay. Uh, a black woman okay. in this one. Um, and it sounds like, and I love the animation, but it sounds like the um, turtles are voiced by black actors. Okay. And so I think that this is going to be, again, another cultural um, uh, politicized. conversation, politicized conversation about what these it's like oh you're just you're changing my childhood yeah i mean what you're saying makes a lot of sense and uh, another uh even extreme of that is they changed some of the original willy wonka and the chocolate factory books you know i should have known this before we started our podcast because again bud light target uh you know everything is is partisan politicized now pretty nastily and and unnuanced right and uh I hope and I, I root for, I agree with kind of progressive changes in what we see. You know what I mean? And, and a different possibility and a different potential. So what do you think about that? Because look, for example, um, I think a big, I'm reading, I'm reading Foundation right now by Isaac Asimov. And Foundation is a TV show that um, is, a, is a book that was adapted into a TV show by Apple TV+. And the Gal Dornick, who is one of the, protagonist of the book was changed from a, a male character to a, a, a person of color female character in the TV show. And a lot of people are watching this, I mean, obviously they changed a lot of other things, but a lot of people are watching this going like, why'd you make that change? And, they, and the, that change also happens in like other things, like Dune, they've changed a couple characters and, and so on and so forth. It's like, so I think a lot of people when they look at their childhood or look at books they read and look at the structure or the world that was already built and then see it portrayed on TV through a lens of progressive or representative changes, they go, well, make a new story. Don't change my story. What do you, what do you say to that kind of conversation? Do you think that they're just overreacting or do you think that there's a validity to it? 
Uh, I think people are rigid in their ways and their perceptions of what things are supposed to be, but I'm, and that's okay, you know, we're humans. Uh, I, me personally, I'm for the abstraction. I'm for the um, different viewpoints, um, seeing things in, in, from different perspectives. You know, my wife for now, for like the last five years, she's had me get us season tickets to Playhouse Square in Cleveland. Uh, and we go to all these places all the time and, you know, Hamilton, they have black actors playing, you know, dudes that were white power holders and slave, slave owners. You know what I mean? Like it, it, I think it's good to see the population as 8 billion of us, you know, and, and when you start creating all these us's and them's, uh, you know, uh, group versus group, white versus black, Republican versus Democrat, uh, heck, even, you know, male versus female, you know, like Alan Watts and Carl Jung, they, they talk quite a bit about the genders are a lot closer than is portrayed in popular culture. You know what I mean? We're, we're all human. We all have these emotions, but 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 of course there are differences, but don't shed your uh, feminine side if you're a, a male and don't shed your, you know, uh, whatever the parts of you that, that may be more aligned with masculinity if you're a female, you know, so I like the changing of the actors of how they look. I like it. The, the, the how they look, how the sex. Yes. But I mean, but, but is that true to the story? I guess the question is, is like, if I read the book, I love the book. I mean, for, for example, another one that's coming out that I read the other day is the three body problem. And the three body problem, it was, was made, it's, it was written by a Chinese, here's a great conversation for you or a great question for you. Uh, Cicin Liu is the Chinese author who wrote The Three-Body Problem. The Three-Body Problem is primarily set in China. It starts out with the Chinese Cultural Revolution and then goes through the time, and I mean, it, it spans a human history of about 400 years throughout through the, through the books, even maybe more, 500. But it's major, the, the majority of people are, uh, the protagonists, even the antagonists are Chinese. And so when Netflix adapt, is going to adapt this, we saw that there's a very diverse ca cast of characters. And they took one of the main characters, his name is Wang, uh, Wang Miao, and Wang Miao was changed to, it looks as though, four different characters to try to play his story arc because he has a very big story arc in the first book. And so there's a, um, a black man, a white woman, I'm sorry, a, a woman of color, a, a white man, and so on and so forth. So there's, there's four different people that possibly could be playing this role. The argument is, is number one, you're, you're westernizing a story that is based in China from a Chinese perspective, which I was very, very original. It's one of the best science fiction books, I think, subjectively, um, you know, sub uh, uh, written, but from a Chinese perspective, which is no, new and original. The second is, a lot of like Chinese American actors, this was a time to really shine if in a westernized or an Americanized G or a a English. Shot, yeah. Um, chance to get a, a major starring role, yeah. and now you just diversified the, the the story that was written, and so from those different point of views, we're saying like, okay, diversity is a great idea. It shows all these different perspectives, and so we're going to adapt this book, and that's great. But from an Asian American or an Asian point of view, they're like, oh, there's America just doing this American thing again. No Chinese culture. You're taking the Chinese people out of there, or the Asian people out of there. You're, you're, the, the Asian American actors are like. Well, there goes our fucking shot. Our jobs, yeah, our check. You know, I mean, not and, our check. And our, our visibility. Our, our, yeah. Our, our, you don't write, they don't write Asian American stories. There was like, what, um, 
what was the one with the Singapore rich, rich Asian, uh, crazy rich Asian, crazy rich yeah. Asians. And so it highlighted a lot of, uh, Asian actors. There was the one that just won. What was the one with, uh, Michelle Yeoh that just won the movie uh, of the everywhere year. Everywhere, um, but everywhere, everything, everything, everything everywhere yeah. all at once mm -hmm, or something. Mm -hmm. So there was another one. And so they're like, people, there's these books being adapted that we could be starring in and you're taking this away from us. So is, so what's the conversation? So I guess what I'll say on that is, Oh, the last, last thing I want to say is from the book reader's perspective as well, now you're making us, the people who love the book, try to love something that isn't the book that we loved, which, but you're trying to adapt it to the same story. And we're like, uh, for the book readers, we probably look, uh, why'd you do that? So give me if, Asian actors. If, first of all, yes, I agree. Put it in China. Give, get, uh, uh, be diverse in your representation of, in, and, uh, of the hiring of the actors. Yes. And, and keep, keep, but what I'll mainly say is, Let's take um, To Kill a Mockingbird, right? If, if, if the racial dynamic or the cultural dynamic is a part of the lesson you're trying to teach the audience or the example of time that in back, going back in history that you're trying to show, you might not want in To Kill a Mockingbird to cast the attorney as a black guy and the defendant as a white guy, you know what I mean? So you may not wanna make those types of casting changes that completely pervert the lessons that your fictional story is going to teach the audience or make the audience at least think about, you know what I mean? Um, so yes, in your example, I would probably keep it the same. I, I would keep, respect the, the cultural um, casting from the original, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but as for April, let's say April O'Neil and Ninja Turtles, that doesn't matter to me. You know what I mean? That, that doesn't matter to me because it's not about teaching about structural racism back. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's not that type of a thing. Give a black actress a chance. Right. You know? She was just a reporter. It, she's just a reporter. She could be a black reporter, a white reporter, exactly. a male reporter, a female reporter. It doesn't it, matter. Yes, exactly. So, so just because the April O'Neil of your childhood, which my, I, I literally have the original April O'Neil in the package doll, just because my April O'Neil was white, I don't care 25 years later if it's a black woman. That doesn't matter to me. You know what I mean? So do you think there's a do you think there's a point in... Do you think there's a point in movies and say in air quotes, woke culture or progressive culture or this cultural, um, I guess, diversity striving that we're making where it goes too far and you just go, do people have a valid point when they have the pushback on these movies that are, are, are changing these characters? Do you think there's validity to that argument? Yes, if they're changing the story. Not if they're changing, um, not if they're just, op not if they're just, opening your eyes, you know, and making you think, you know what I mean? But if they are changing the, the lesson, the story, like, Hey, the, the Uyghurs were, you know what I mean? Like, or, or the, uh, slavery, you know, or uh, criminal justice system, you know what I mean? Like if they're not changing the, the story with the casting and with the look and with the dynamics of it, then, uh, you know, that, that's what I think it needs to be. But Barbie, I would hope that it's some kind of, uh, there is some progressivism in there that, you know, you can, no matter what you look like, you're Barbie if you want to be Barbie. If you don't want to be, uh, if you're not a fashion person, if you're a beauties on the inside person and I don't get, I don't do fashion stuff, I'm not a fashion guy, you know, I don't really care what well, I look you're like. You're looking pretty fashionable right now, Ross. <laughs> but you know what I mean? There are lessons to be taken from fictional things. And I think if you're changing the cultural uh, or the racial kind of 
lesson to be learned from it, you don't make those changes. You don't make those changes. If it's just, uh, this is the, yeah, okay, originally on the first version of Batman, you know, Catwoman was, was white back in the 60s when they were doing Bam Power or whatever, Catwoman was white, Michelle Pfeiffer was white. Okay, well now we have a black Catwoman. That's okay, that doesn't, the, the story was never about race. <laughs> the story was never about race, you know what I mean? So there are, there are sometimes I, I, I don't think it matters, but to answer your question, yes, I think the people that are mad that they changed the original text of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory to get rid of Augustus Gloomp was fat, because fat is uh, now offensive to you. We don't call people fat. No, I think that those people that don't want the original text changed are right, actually. Don't change that. You know what I mean? It's the guy's book. He wrote it in the 50s. Of course, he said some things that, of course, he wasn't perfect as, as a human being himself. And his work, you know what I mean? Like, it, Well, I think that's just the abstract of, of, of what we call um, perfect in the perspective of what people are writing. But then again, time. For the time, and then again, it even doesn't fucking matter, in my opinion, when you're talking about writing a story. You, that's kind of what I respect about Quentin Tarantino, is like, he goes really hard in the paint when it comes to, especially race and culture. If you want to talk about Inglorious Bastards, if you want to talk about Django Unchained, if you want to talk about any of those, he will go, he is unapologetic about writing a good story with those brash Realities. elements in, in it. And he doesn't care if it's 1950s or the year 20, 2050. And he talks to the actors and he gets very comfortable with them saying like, hey, this tells a good story, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think, I, think that, I think that art cannot be, again, art cannot be censored. censored. <clears throat> but going just to movies, um, yeah, I don't know if I actually want to be, uh, you know, belabor this anymore because this is, it's just an interesting conversation. I, I have no problem if Barbie is progressive. Now, we'll see if they romanticize Oppenheimer. You know, at the very end of our podcast last week, we kind of talked about this and what's happening in the real world. Like, I'm, I'm uh, pretty definitively kind of throw your weapons down guy. And that's the only way that the escalation, you know, ends for, you know, to try and get us to the year 3000, <laughs> you know what I mean? So we'll see how much they try and romanticize us dropping the atomic bombs, you know what I mean? So I, I think it's, um, I think this is a very valid discussion. I can't wait to see the movie with you on Monday. And uh, if you don't come to Barbie with me and my wife, we'll go to Ninja Turtles together. <laughs> I, I, might, I might come to Barbie. I might watch, actually, I might watch Barbie because I just want to see the, the conversation that's yeah. being had. Um, <clears throat> because I do think that this is an important thing of uh, American culture right now and American, and American media of, of what is the message and is the message being receptive, recepted or received by the people? Is it actually a valid message to be even putting out there? And when is the time and the place of, you know, having a message? Because look, you ever, had, you ever go to dinner or go out with somebody and they're always that person that's always talking or advocating about something and you're just like, fucking hell, we're just out at the bar having a drink. Can't we just talk some bullshit? Can we talk some sports and you bring up abortion rights? Like, come on, man. Uh, 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 there's that, there's <laughs> that <laughs> SNL character like Debbie Downer or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, that's a great character. And, and is that, <laughs> is, so is the, is the Debbie Downer being, being pushed into mainstream media of like, Every time I see a movie, there's something political I have to fucking watch. Can right. I just watch a movie without thinking about some issue that's being pushed on me? Well, I, I think the answer to your question is yes, but it won't be highly marketed. So again, we, this is the second week in a row we've talked about Barbie and 
Oppenheimer, you can't turn on your TV or your Twitter or something uh, and not see the people dressed up as Barbie at the theater, Barbie this, Oppenheimer that, you know what I mean? But there are other, there are a ton of other movies at the theater. It just, again, it's just like searching something on Google. You may have to go to the second or third page of the search, you know, you know what I mean? So uh, there's a lot of non-political stuff out there if you're willing to, you know, uh, discard everything that's being thrown at you. All right, we have to go somewhere else besides there's 20 minutes of that and I didn't think we're gonna have a conversation about that today, but let's go into participatory budget makes Cleveland ballot. First of all, what is the participatory budgeting? So we, we this is uh, something near and dear to my heart. I, I got them a couple hundred signatures. I know you've been out there getting signatures. on Not, uh, not for this. Uh, not for this, but for, <laughs> for abortion and stuff like that, which is the November ballot. Um, this is just purely Cleveland. So not Bay Village, not Cleveland Heights, things like that. And they do it in, I think, over 100 cities across the country. It's a slice of the budget for a group of citizens. 2%. And our, our, in Cleveland, it's being proposed 2%. First, they proposed just $5 million of ARPA money. And the city council shut it down in a real nasty hearing. If you watch the hearing, uh, it was pretty just... Just kind of belittling. What did Rebecca Moore say about that? How did, did she shut it down or was she? No, no, no. She was one of the pro proponents originally of the five million ARPA pilot. That would have just been a pilot. What, did, what about Slife? Slife, as far as I'm, I know he hasn't made a comment on. But he was in the hearing. I think he was one of the ones in the hearing. But I don't remember him being much for or against. I cannot. What speak about House? Him. House was for the original pilot, the five million. I think. I don't so, think so, so that means four women were for it originally. Okay. And Bib originally. Okay, and so now, Bib, Bib was for it, but how, Bib's against this. Exactly. The, the, okay, so wait, this, this is going to get 2% of the, the Cleveland's budget. of, And so 2% equals about $14 million, and the budget is around what, $700 million a year? The, the general fund, yes. Yes. There's more to the budget than how Cleveland does these buckets and these classifications. 2% of the general fund which is, yeah, like 690 million or something, comes out to 14 million for participatory budgeting. So this is going to be, and let me just read what, what, what this is really quick. Um, 10,000 signatures were collected, 5,907 signatures were needed to get the amendment, get the amendment on the November's ballot. It, it happened, you guys got it. Um, this is going to be 2% of the budget, which is $14 million, and it's going to be residents can choose how they want to spend that money through a voting process overseen by 11-person steering committee. Okay, so, so you're happy about this. Of course, of course. Again, they do it in like over 100 cities. Um, we're in the city of Cleveland. People have kind of, um, I hate to say this, I hate to say this, but I don't know if they've given up hope, but they've given up currently on the process. So in Cleveland, a ton of people have moved out. You know, it used to be a million, now we're, we're getting towards 350,000. So a ton of people have A, moved out, and then B, in this last November election, only um, like under 60,000 people voted. So under 20% of people are even voting. So a lot of people have just said, fuck it, with what these politicians kind of tell you they're for, or uh, who they take their selfies with, who, how they virtue signal. People are done with it, they see through it. and. This goes to say, hey, I've been talking about speed bumps on this road. Hey, I've been saying, uh, let's staff the library with more hours, more days, right? We're in a beautiful library right now. You know what I mean? My park, uh, my, I can't get my softball field 
um, dragged. You know what I mean? We, we nobody's nobody's going to this park. You know we need to upkeep things like mow, yeah mowing mowing lawns. You know so people are kind of sick of. I call my councilman. I never get anything out of it. Then and the council gives way more than two percent to crony capitalism to you know billionaire sports owners, the most powerful businesses, Sherwin Williams, things like that, uh, real estate development. So people are sick of how the council has mismanaged the budget over the years. And I would say that's the genesis of this. Again, they do it in other cities. I'm not, I would never, for the people that I asked to sign this petition, I'm not telling you this is some silver bullet. I'm not telling you this is going to fix the city. Uh, from my perspective, personally, I can't speak for everybody, I can't speak for all, it's an agitative thing to say to the council, stop fucking giving our money to people that are not going to help our public schools, our parks, our libraries. We see you giving away our tax dollars to non-public good you know, situations. And so it's not a silver bullet, but it's democratic, right? Now the people are gonna vote for it. If they vote it down, they vote it down. That, that's issue one, you know, that's the abortion issue in November. It, it, but to sit there and think that my tax dollars are best protected and best used by the council and the mayor, that's garbage. That's out the window, you know? So that's my thoughts on it. Look, I agree with you that um, I don't think that uh, the mayor or the city council is doing the best with the funds, 100%. But I also don't think that, all right, first, let me just go back. Do I think this should be put up to the people? 100%. I think voting is very important. And this is kind of what we're fighting for right now is to be able to take petitions and put them on ballots, you know, and that's what uh, the November election is about and whatever. So that's what put, the August election sorry, is about. The August election is about. Mm -hmm. um, but with this said, do I agree with this? I, I do not. Because, the, because what you're creating is a more bureaucracy. Like I said before, you're creating more people. Who's going to get these positions? It's going to be, you know, that's what my buddy said when we were doing our joint podcast. It's going to be the you know, the, the Rotary Club president or the president of this city council or the, the people who are involved. There's gonna be some kind of power structure and basically you're gonna have an, another layer of trying to, they're gonna, this is basically their now personal slush funds. And I haven't seen any proposal or maybe you could tell us, is there any proposal about how you do not allow them to, a, 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 a few amount of people control a $14 million of budget to do basically whatever they want with it? How is, this, how is this strictly for the people, especially since you just said that the people are not really part of the process? Well, unfortunately, um, the, the, the members of this committee are appointed by the mayor and council. So, but I, I think that's... Of so, the, this, so 11 members are just going to be an extension of the mayor and the council? <laughs> right. Well, then what the fuck are you doing, dude? Well, that, hey, that, I didn't organize, you know, I, I didn't So why is even, uh, this is stupid. This is already no, a fucking it's not, bastardization of it's, the whole idea. It's not stupid because look at how defensive and mad the council and the mayor are being on it. Because they know that's a layer, an extra layer of bureaucracy. What is their reasoning? I'm not saying it's not an extra layer of bureaucracy. What I'm saying is... Clevelanders, as a, a homeowning Clevelander and, and somebody who works in Cleveland and worked in Cleveland for a long time, and they, the, mayor, the old mayor, Frank Jackson, and council fought to get Clevelanders to vote to raise their own taxes from 2 to 2.5%. We don't deserve the value of just 2% of our tax dollars. We deserve the value of 100% of our tax dollars. And so these are supposed to be civil servants who are supposed to be doing the will of the people doing what we want with our tax dollars. And so 
again, the mayor and council itself is a bureaucracy. You go out there and petition, you'll have a lot of residents come up to you and say, hey, why'd they take that one thing off the ballot where we reduce the size of council? Especially in West Park, that's very popular. So there, people are fed up with bureaucracy. This is more bureaucracy. I agree with that, but again, all you, had to, all you had to know is their immediate responses when this come out. Because in the city of Cleveland, why, why we've lost all this population, why we've lost all this tax base, is because of neoliberalism. It is because of them funneling public good tax dollars, again, my taxes, to private wealth hoarders. You know what I mean? Dan Gilbert has them, their net worth goes up. They rise on the Forbes list ever since yes, they've gotten Yes, hold. yes, 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 good, fine. They've gotten this is. I know yes. we talk about the same shit every week, but it doesn't mean that this $14 million is gonna be spent better. No, there is no silver bullet. There is, it doesn't matter what you do, there is no silver bullet. But this yes, is- a, I, Yes, I, there is a matter of what we do. If you say that we can take 2% of the, the budget and now put it to a November ballot, which is, a, in my opinion, a fucking horrible solution, there could be better solutions. Look, I'm more concerned about the $68 million slush fund that the county council have. Why do we have county council bureaucracy mixed in with city bureaucracy? Sure. Why do we have all that money going the to county council? Jail situation? Why do we have this we jail situation? Why do we have, if we're worried about the city council, if we're worried about the mayor, and we're worried about the spending, we're worried about the crony capitalism, why are we not making pro budget or petitions to change the, the way that the whole structure works? But this is honestly a, I, I think it's just a myopic, not even a silver bullet. I think it's a myopic kind of like naive solution to say, let's try to do something, but now I have $14 million in another layer of bureaucracy. I could not disagree more because again, right now in electoral politics, which is who controls our tax dollars, right. you have, we cannot hold, the reality is, the reality is we cannot hold the two parties or the successful politicians accountable. You may want to think idealistically, oh, if Joe Biden does a bad job, if the, you know Donald Trump does a bad job, we're going to vote them out and put somebody in that does do a good <clears> job. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that change. if you want to put, put the work in to make a ballot petition, a this ballot initiative, then why don't you make one that, that consolidates the, the, the county council and the city council, restricts the budget, uh, uh, restricts and closes down some of those these loopholes and um, makes the whole bureaucracy smaller and, and, and have a different electoral system I, I that goes through. But, but instead, we have, hey, why don't we insert 11 more people on there that's appointed by the mayor and the city council to control 2% of the budget. It listen, doesn't seem like a solution. This is, this, is a downward, uh, this is a downward moving snowball, okay? So this is just probably phase one. What you're saying, again, the people in West Park have wanted to reduce the number of Cleveland City Councilors for years, and they had it. They did this. There was a petition, and then they the council negotiated like backroom deals and got it off the ballot. So there are people that I don't know about your proposal right there, kind of combining the county and the and the city of Cleveland. I don't know about that exactly, but peop, first of all, the the number of councilors is going down in 2025 from 17 city councilors to 15 because of population loss that's in the city charter. I think you will see petition initiative. This is why we're doing this thing in August. I think you will, see, but this is just one thing. They do this in, like I said, over a hundred other cities. They just already do it. Just because they do it in a hundred cities doesn't mean it's a good idea. No, no, and it doesn't mean it's a good idea for Cleveland. Just be, but again, there are no silver bullets. Right now, no matter how you change a politician right now, policy doesn't change in favor of the populace. 
and, and you're not getting the value of your tax dollars, no matter which party you put in, no matter which I guess the you I guess what I'm trying to say is, what does this do to change the whole dynamic you just said? It, I don't see it doing anything but creating another no, layer that of bureaucracy. I guarantee you that that 14 million, at least for the near term, I can't talk to the year 2050, but at least in the short term, that 14 million will be protected, protected from sports sports venues. Okay, I guarantee you. Maybe. Right, right, down the road, down the road. Well, actually, right. what do you mean down the road? It could, it could happen as soon as you get those 11 guys on because they're appointed by the mayor and the city council. That's not a bad argument, but I just do not believe that that 14 million would be subject to suburban bullshit. I do not think they would do that. I, I, in the near term, in the, now you're right. It, it's just like it's just like it's just like appointing senators and the mayor and council. Once wealthy interests, you know, get their teeth down to that level, it's this is supposed to be a level closer to me, closer to citizens, and we'll see if it plays out that way. But again, what's this about? The people get to vote on it. My neighbors maybe going to vote no. I'm going to vote yes. You know what I mean? So. It is, there is no silver bullet. I do think you're right. I do think you need to reduce the level of bureaucracy, cronyism, double dipping, uh, nepotism, all that, all that stuff, funneling to your friends, jobs to your friends. Term That's my main thing. That's my main thing. And so, okay, so here's what I look at. And here's what I'm looking at when it comes to this. I see that there's an appointed 11 people that I just learned about, which I thought the whole thing was dumb, and I even think it's stupider. It's gonna be appointed by the mayor in the city in the city council. You have these 11 people in here that's gonna obviously be bullied or obviously have their own interest in there. You know, $14 million set aside that's probably just gonna follow, follow the money wherever you need it to go. We have this disjointed government within Cuyahoga County. We have the we have Chris Ronane's office, the, the county executive and that operates a lot of shit that happens within the city and around the county, which is a whole big money fucking funneling thing as, as well. And then we have the city of Cleveland that is money funneling its own money to do its own thing. And they sometimes overlap, they sometimes don't. They, they double spend, they have disagreements. It really don't work in well, well for the city. Not only that do we have this, this whole 11 thing, now we have this uh, police oversight board, which is another layer of bureaucracy, which we can't find fucking cops here. We can't, you know, really get things through, which the, the, the oversight board isn't actually doing the thing that they're supposed to be doing in the first place, it, or I even, even have the, actually, I think that's a great, a, a great thing. There's a whole petition for the oversight board. You have this oversight board that got kind of like stripped away and diluted and, and misinterpreted, and now they have this oversight board that doesn't even do the thing that was supposed to be there in the, in the first place. So it's like, it, all you did was make a new bureaucratic process and problem for policing to do police work, or hiring, firing, or um, administration that's honestly convoluted at this point. It, it, it got fucked up. Uh, I, so now we are just clouding it more. Uh, again, what you're saying has a lot of validity, okay? But the earth will continue to revolve and move, okay? So people are learning. Thank you, Ross. People are learning. That was deep. <laughs> people are learning these lessons, right? This whole, people understand why this August thing is happening, okay? It's not about the two political parties. It's about the in-power group trying to fuck the citizens, okay? And so we're learning that Republican-Democrat doesn't kind of matter anymore, right? We're learning that. Maybe it used to matter. Maybe the politicians for one party stood for smaller government and less bureaucracy and the part and the for another party stood for, uh, you know, all kinds of things. But it doesn't matter anymore. They're, they're a uni, it's a uniparty at the top, okay? So we're learning that. Now here at the state level, in the city level with these petition initiatives, guess what? You're exactly right. For the uh, the people wanted the police force 
to not be able to police itself, not just have internal affairs. And until, yes, 100%. Right. And so, I think a lot of people agree with that. Right. So that's why it won. So that's why issue 24 won. But what happened? You're right. The mayor and the council just appointed their friends to tank it. So it, they are tanking it, right? And with this, you're right. One of the main criticisms has been, but we're doing this to fight against the council's uh, usage of our tax dollars, the mayor's usage of our tax dollars. How could you have the mayor and council appoint these people? They're going to tank it on purpose. They're going to make the make this look stupid. They're going to make the citizens look stupid for voting it in. But we know that the police can't police themselves. We want some oversight. We want some accountability. And we know that our tax dollars are being misused. So that is a learning process. Maybe in the future, the petition initiatives change. We take these things out of the mayor and council's hands because, again, we know that they're playing Republican and Democrat. I see. I see. This is just like a, a very kind of like, oh, hey, they're doing this. Why don't we do this? We can get fourteen million dollars, and it, it, it well, really doesn't we fix. We don't want fourteen million dollars. We want a hundred percent of our dollars. Then why wasn't there a ballot initiative to change the structure, the, the entire structure? Uh, and I'm isn't that up to, is that uh, not up to the people? So then why this? All I can say is that this does not do anything. It does not do anything for the bigger picture. It just shows that, hey, we got some signatures, and now we got a fucking another crony capitalism fund. I, I disagree because, again... Okay, I'm going to take that back because we don't know what it is. It seems like a, a possibility for another crony capitalist bureaucratic again, slush fund. If you can educate the populace that the, the council and the mayor are not on your side... If you can educate the populace about that, it's worth it. Okay, it's not going to be a silver bullet. It's not. But again, the day that they certified that this made the ballot, you had, fi you had, you finally got to see what do the council and the mayor stand for. And I would tell you they stand for nothing, or they stand to enrich their donors. Okay, so that educates the populace. They're losing. They're they're. Yes, their popularity is going down with the activist class, the people that pay attention the most. Because why wouldn't you, like you said at the very beginning of this, right? This is why we're doing issue one, to get it on the ballot. Now you're using your platform to say, hey, if the citizens, if this group of, of unpowered, unempowered citizens gets $14 million, we're going to cut, it's going to result in cuts for EMS and all this, you know, all this service stuff. It's like, no, that's what you've been doing. That's what you've been doing. And they're, again, it's, it's opening people's eyes. It's educating some people. I promise you that. I don't think so. I promise you that. I don't think so. People are waking up to the fact that the Democrats aren't Democrats and the Republicans aren't Republicans. They are just cronies. I, I <clears throat> well, here's what's happening. You, you might be right. And I, I don't think, okay, here's, okay, you might be right that people are waking up to it. I guess when I said I don't think so, it doesn't mean that people aren't realizing that we have major systemic issues that do not necessarily benefit the city of Cleveland. What I, what I mean is the result of this is that people wake up to this and then we have 20% turnout and next thing you know we're gonna have 15% and 13% and 11% and we have a select few <laughs> and, it's gonna be, and, and, and honestly in Cuyahoga County it's a uniparty or Cleveland is a uniparty. Uh, a uniparty that per, that is continuing to perpetuate now with less voters and less care and less uh, commitment to, to change because of the many times that these policies and these ideas of change, these petitions don't do shit. And I think this is another one that's not going to do shit, but other just continue to make people go, hey, why the fuck do I care? Now it goes, takes it from 20% to 15 to 11 to 9% participation and you consolidate party, party 
power within a uniparty and a certain select few of people who are out there continuing to perpetuate this. And all I still see is the downfall in the slope of population, the rise in crime, the, uh, the, the, the disparities within Cleveland, the, lo the lower uh, income of, of, Cle of Cleveland uh, residents. And, and, and I don't see any insight. This is not the insight to this. But this is not the end game. It's not, and so that's where I agree. I think a lot of things you've said are right, but I think that the bigger picture is the 10,000 people that signed this petition, right? The 700,000 people that, that signed this That is 10,000 people of hope that's gonna be losing, losing hope no. again because the thing's not gonna work properly no, no, because no. the whole thing is flawed. The, the, the organizers of this have not sold it as a silver bullet. They have sold it as, as agitative and saying, hey, we want to be involved in how our tax dollars are spent. We just want to be involved. We just want you all to listen to us. So you've lost a lot of kind of um, old school organizations and people think that they're voting for change when they back the Bernie's or when they join the Bernie campaign or the Bib campaign. They think they're working for positive change and it, you're not. It's just frankly, my opinion is you're not working for positive change when you when you put your organizing and your money, your donation money into candidates, uh, you know. And so people need to have these new groups. Right now, we're on a email group. Now we're on we're doing meetings, you know. So it's a bigger movement that gets beyond hey, because again, they do this in a hundred cities. It's not wrecked those cities. It maybe it hasn't helped those cities, but they. Again, we're just trying to get people involved to wake up to the fact that your tax dollars are being misappropriated. Look, I, I personally believe in a city like Cleveland that has rising crime, that has uh, reducing population, uh, a reduction of population, that has economic woes, um, and is the second poorest city in the country, second poorest big city in the country. Anything at this point that does not actually create a massive turnaround perpetuates the downward spiral. And so the, the high level thing, what I'm saying is if these initiatives that, that get people out to be excited about something, participate, participate in something, does not have a result and is taken over by either the mayor, the city council, the system, or the lack of participation of the members that are there and say, hey, we have a group chat, we have a Facebook page, bullshit, and it doesn't have actual results attached to it, it's gonna, it, is not, it is going to exponentially perpetuate the downfall of the city. There's no turnaround, there's no going sideways, because the city, don't, hmm, Ross, because the city has not gone sideways in right, 40 fucking all years. All these things you said, all these things you said when you started that, the group behind this is saying, why, is, why did that happen? Why did, how did we get here? Because of their misappropriation of the budget, right? So nothing that you've said is incorrect. It's just, hey, how do we solve it? It's gonna have to be incremental change. Why? Because the, the, has, the, 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 the sports team owners aren't funding the citizen movements. So again, it's gotta be incremental change. I, I don't change. believe that. People want to vote And it's not time for incremental change in Cleveland. Absolutely not. I, I'm not saying it's time for, I think it's time, I ran for mayor. I think it's time for huge changes. But it's, it's not realistic to think that without that the mayor, the city council, the plane dealer, it's not realistic to think that Superman or Batman's gonna come in like the, the most newest Batman movie and you know, everybody that's corrupt's gonna get taken down and you're gonna get, it's like, or like the Hunger Games, and you're just gonna get a good leader in there at the end. That's not realistic, that's not realistic. So again, I ran for mayor, I'm not running for mayor again, but 
you're right, citizens want lesser bureaucracy and less corrupt bureaucracies. And so, and major, and, and like, honestly, what bid uh, a campaign on? Woody Bold campaigned. action. Right, Woody campaign. By, yeah. by a, a <laughs> honestly, a Batman vigilante to go out there and, and make some big changes for the city and be the, the bad guy and do things that are unpopular to make sure that the in five years we see the city on a different trajectory that is totally changed. I just don't see this one, it, honestly. So uh, I don't think it's changed the trajectory in the other cities that it's involved in. Yeah, exactly. Again, and especially Cleveland, and, it's, it's, it's the downward trajectory. No, if you get more people involved, there are definitely people involved in this movement that d probably didn't like any of the candidates, myself included, for mayor. You know what I mean? And so when you put these issue campaigns on the ballot, it gives people a different reason to get involved because they see through these politicians. So that's August, that's participatory budgeting, that's choice, that's minimum wage, that's, that's all these things. People want to go against the electeds. And so again, when you saw the council and the mayor come out against this, even though they get to appoint the people, that's gonna put a pep in people's step. They know who the people ruining the city have been and are. They know, we know who's ruined the city that's led to all the stuff that you mentioned. Not, I mean, Bibb's brand new, right? But the mayor for many decades ha is, has put in place policies and fought against other policies like you know down in Columbus, minimum wage, that would have led to less poverty. So if you want less poverty, you can't think that the mayor and council is gonna do it. So it, I'm not saying it's a silver bullet, I'm just saying, we got to get beyond this Republican Democrat thing and we've got to fight. It's got to be a completely different, not bad. Ain't no Batman's out there, but there's just different, there's just different ways. So I, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I am disagreeing in that this is good for the community. And they don't think it's a silver bullet. They don't think this is going to fix anything. Issue 24, me and the issue 24 organizers, we thought at the time, same things you're saying, the mayor and the council is going to tank it. We thought I, we had those conversations. And what's happening? Is getting tanked. Okay, I'll rest my case. Issue one: polling numbers are at fifty-seven percent for. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, against issue one, right? Against issue one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you're right. <laughs> and it's looking like you're going to win our bets. But yes, this is this is very good news. Um, I think that I think I'm going to win that bet bigly. <laughs> So a, 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 poll, a poll came out. Okay, so really quick, so whoever's listening, issue one in here in Ohio is to change the Ohio, uh, the way that things reach the Constitution. So, for, for example, grassroots, people-powered initiatives can now hit the ballot in November, in November elections, with 44 counties out of 88 counties assigning 5% of, 5 of the people, their populace who voted for governor on a petition and when it hits in November, it passes with 50 plus 1%. They want to change that to all 88 counties having, having that same percentage of who voted for the, in the gubernatorial election, as well as now it needs to have 60 plus 1%. The reason why this is happening is because there's a lot of issues that are happening around the country or in other states that are looking like they are passing into state constitution with under 60% of the vote. Abortion rights in certain states, um, gun um, laws in certain states, and a lot of other things. And so um, Ohio wants to change that to make sure that it's gonna, you need to surpass 50, 60 plus 1% of the popular vote, plus to get it on the ballot, you need all 88 counties and other requirements. It looks as though with the polling that's coming out, more than 
57% of the people, Republican and Democrat, and this is an aggregate of both of them, obviously more Democrats are against issue one than Republicans because the Republicans are, are as a party are pushing for issue one. But as an aggregate, 57% is against issue one. I think that this is actually quite hilarious, to be honest with you, um, that the, first of all, the number one is that they want to have a simple majority to make the, in, in the vote, to make a, um, basically a super majority uh, in our constitution. I think that's fucking funny. And they'll, they'll be like, oh yeah, that 50 plus 1% is great to change the 60 plus one. That's hilarious. Uh, and second, I think it's gonna be very funny if, it, if this passes under the 60% uh, threshold is saying is saying that hey look at that we just beat your uh, initiative i mean sorry it gets turned down under the 60 percent threshold i personally still believe that it's gonna uh be turned down over 65 percent and and if it does i think that the democrats i hope i hope have a plan to fucking rub their face in it because this is honestly bipartisan if you look at all of the other go governors that were republican um, even Lee Weingart, who ran against Chris Ronane here, he's a Republican for county council. They all are all the Republicans who are not in office. Don't need to win a future and election. And don't need to win a future election or buddy buddy with the party are against this. Everybody who's in office right now, from my, my former opponent to the current governor to people who are running for Senate, are for this as a party. It is absolutely fucking disgusting. It is party over politics. It is, it is politics over policy. And I hope that when if this goes down, the Democrats have a very good and very concise and very direct poignant messaging plan to say, you guys are fucking us up for a party. Yeah, uh, I don't know about that um, because I, the Democratic Party in Ohio has been shit for so long. But um, I, that's what I said, I hope. Yeah, I, I highly doubt it. I, <laughs> I, I, highly, I highly doubt but, it. But um, what I'll say is um, a little bit more context to your 57%, we talked about this a little before the podcast, is it actually could be more, it's, it's only 57 that are coming out and telling the pollster that they're gonna vote no, it's only 26% saying, saying no. we're gonna vote yes. Yeah, and, right, right, And right. so yes. there's a lot of undecideds there um, because, and that's why I say I think you're gonna win our bet with the 65, because I, I think of that, of that undecided group, I still put my faith in my neighbor. I still think of the undecided group, the same um, majority will decide to go vote no, to not take, not remove themselves of being powerful. And um, they were gonna, you know, they're gonna, they're, they've been messaging on, hey, protect the constitution. Hey, this is gonna, uh, look at how these pro-choice ballot initiatives went in these other states like Kansas and Michigan and things like that. Uh, well, the reality about that, what that means is, People are pro-choice. Maybe it's not a Republican Democrat thing. You know, I mean, I'm I'm sure the percentages change. You know, they right, vary. The <laughs> they vary, but they want to teach us that um, we are so polarized, and Republicans all think this about this issue, and Democrats all think this about ash that issue. But me and you, because me and you have done quite a bit of grass actual grassrooting in our in our lives. I don't think many people do grassroots as much anymore. We know, no, it's a lot more nuanced than that. It's a lot more nuanced than that. And so uh, Republicans were not born yesterday. They were not born yesterday, Republican voters. And so yes, they're all gonna get their messaging, their mailers, their email from the, the J.D. Vance and the Trump list that they're on and DeWine list that they're on. Right. They're all gonna right. get that yes on, 
on, but they weren't born yesterday. I'm not, insu- not going to insult people's intelligence. You know what I mean? And that, that's, that's the thing. I, the Ohio voter is not dumb. Yeah. And I think that everybody continues to think that the Ohio voter is dumb. And, and it's honestly the, one of the biggest I, um, strategic blunders with every political party and, every, and, and a lot of candidates within the state. They always assume that the voter is dumb. <laughs> always. Yep. And um, we see that every time that the voter is pushed to it, and not, and not the individual, I'm talking about the Ohio voter as a group, a block. These are the Ohio voters. And they're pushed to something that is very um, either polarizing or very kind of like, you know, um, uh, just put, just Cl- closer to a defined, a defined decision. Not, not even that. When, 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 when they're pushed to get their backs against the wall and they know that there, there is a power play or a um, unfairness, the, the Ohio voter always, I think, generally makes the, the correct decision. And they, they're, they're, just, they're just better than that. And here's the thing about Ohio. Ohio is a Midwest, um, you know, blue-collar, middle-class state for the most part that is, you know, built on industry. Um, and Ohio's been always called the heart of it all, even though that Columbus changed the, the nickname of the state for some fucking reason. I think we're back to it now, the heart of it all. But we, as a collective, as a group, I feel that Ohioans always look at the people and the underdog first because everybody kind of like always thinks of us that way. And so if you push us against the wall as like, hey, there's a power play or there's, a, there's something that's you know, um, unfair or discriminatory, no matter who it is, no matter who you are, Ohioans always go, that's not fair because we understand because of how we are, we're, we're brought up as Ohioans. And so that's why I think that this thing and uh, the gerrymandering is gonna fail. That's why I think that these, if you actually put like stadium budgets to the people, they're gonna fucking oh, fail. Yeah. And, and, and all of these things that even if you put abortion to the people, it will fail. Any discriminatory well, acts will fail. I mean, so I'm sorry, now will fail. You well, would give, yeah, you would Right, change, right, right. To, 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 to outlaw abor- abortion, right. they, that would fail okay, because, gotcha, of, gotcha. because yes. of the, I think people just don't like that. Ohioans just don't like it. Right. I, I think, um, because of who we are, we're just, the more that I grassrooted, um, and I've did it for judicial campaigns, probably starting in 2010, I think it was 2009, 2010. Um, again, we, we about this on other issues. We just talked about it. There's a distrust in politicians and there's a distrust in government and there is a um, desire for stay off my lawn, things like that. And, and that's why you saw that sex commercial when the couple's about to have sex and, uh, oh, right, right, and right. they come and take the condom out of the drawer or whatever. And so Ohio is a very uh, freedom-y state, which it should be. We, all, we, you know, we should not want politicians telling us how to live our lives. We already pay a lot in taxes. That's the prior issue we just talked about. And so I think everything you just said is dead on. Uh, I think now if I could buy out and I, I did used to finagle and in, in gambling, I would probably buy out. You know, I think you're going to win. I think you're going to win that bet. Um, you shouldn't want to do double or nothing. No, <laughs> no, I don't want to do double or nothing. Um, and I will be proud and happy, but I'm not, we can't rest on our laurels, right? I can't be like, oh no, don't worry, you know, you tell my the, brother. You did buy the Oppenheimer tickets. You want to, you want to, you want to make that buy That may have to be how I pay the bet. Yeah, that may be how <laughs> I have to pay the bet. Because the, the tickets for IMAX are over $20, like $21. Are you serious? Yeah. Um, it's all right, crazy. All right. I, I'll, I'll let you have that out. That may have uh, to be my, yeah. I, I'll let you have that out. So, um, 
but again, we can't, you can't rest on your laurels either. I can't now just be like, oh, the 5726 polling numbers came out. Now I don't have to make my brother who would otherwise not vote come with me to the board of elections and cast a vote for this. You know what I mean? So cannot rest on the laurels. Um, again, just like participatory budgeting, the citizenry is realizing that the consultant industrial complex, which is these consultants telling Democrats what they got to say and who they got to take selfies with, but they don't really stand for anything. People are starting to realize, hey, like, like you've been talking about, these Republicans, if they were just voters and not didn't need to win a future election, would they really be for this? Would they it, no, they wouldn't. It, it, looks, it looks as though it, that this is the case a lot of the times. Yes. They wouldn't be for this. And this is when, you know, like Governor Voinovich, he, he's consist, consistently and um, yeah, consistently come out to be like, what the fuck are you guys doing? You know, and he's a Republican. You know, we have Boehner coming out. A Republican out. Supreme Court justice in the opinions on gerrymandering right. said to the populace, Y'all can change your own constitution. You guys can. You guys can override these corrupt people. Right. Oh, Judge O'Connor. She came out. It was a, a Republican. It was like, yo, this is not right. We have, uh, you know, the old Speaker of the, uh, the House, Boehner. Right. Um, he was. He Speaker came, of the U.S. House. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was. He he came out multiple times and said, "What the hell is the GOP doing?" Yeah. And 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 so you see that the, this this party politics is being consolidated with that power. And I think that this is gonna be a big bust. And I hope, I hope that it really wakes people up to what's happening in Columbus, because I don't think this is a GOP issue, because I don't think that, again, I don't think this is Republicans mm -hmm. saying like, this is how we want the shit to be ran. I think there's a, a, the GOP in Columbus saying this is gonna be a power grab, and hey, a uh, hundred of us are gonna make the decisions. And I, I, I think that the, people are gonna see through this shit. So I hope people see through it and start realizing that if your neighbor has a, um, a Trump or a Blue Lives Matter flag or a DSA flag or a rainbow flag, you have so much more in common with your neighbor than you do the politicians down in Columbus, whether they are Republican or Democrat. And you have to join with your neighbor to do these petitions. If you want a policy, if you want a certain policy, do not listen to the Democrats tell you, we're going to vote, we're going to fight for Roe versus Wade. Because I have long said it. This is not new for me. I said, wait a minute, Barack Obama, his main campaign thing was the first thing I do when I'm in office is I'm going to codify Roe. And he was in office for eight years. There was none of that. Pelosi, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, these people, Liz Warren, these people that take these selfies uh, uh, about trying to protect pro-choice and Roe versus Wade, guess what happens when they're in the majority? They seem to say, oh, it's not politically feasible. It's not politically feasible. So we've got to come together as a streets, you know, in the streets with your neighbors and realize there is a common enemy and it's the, and it is the donor class and the political class. So that's my, that's my spiel. Tucker Carson was on, was at Turning Point and he interviewed basically every candidate besides, every GOP candidate besides Donald Trump. Uh, he also had a 45 minute stand-up comedian monologue thing as well. Um, I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> he was. This was the Tucker Carlson show. Uh, what did you, did you watch any of these? What, what was your, what is your overall take on this? Because I have a pretty big one. Yeah, I, I would say I have a pretty big one too. And it's, um, these races as a candidate, as a former candidate who was left out of the plane dealer, these races are kind of defined by the gatekeepers. 
And I think it's fair to call Tucker a gatekeeper at this point. And he really shredded these candidates. Um, Vivek, um, what's the one? Nikki Haley, um, Tim Scott, a Asia Hutchinson. He really shredded them. He, I mean, they, they look bad. And a lot of people are like, oh, look at this campaign, you know, uh, blows up before it gets started. But that's a tried and true thing if you go back in history. And, um, and a lot of this was the war on Ukraine. A lot of stuff was war on Ukraine, um, war in Ukraine. And I think he's gatekeeping. And I think Tucker is pretty much pro-Trump. I think uh, if Tucker had his choice, he would... Um, <clears throat> you know, give Trump every term, not just this next one, but beyond this next one. I think uh, Tucker's team Trump. And um, I was, again, I, I got no coverage in the media. And if I would have, it would have been negative. So in the end, that's why I decided not to do an endorsement. I didn't want my friends and family to see the plane dealer, call me inexperienced, call me bad at public speaking, um, define me, uh, embarrass me. I didn't want my friends and family to have to see that. So in, it was a tough decision. I went back and forth on it. I know I hurt my volunteers and, and some family with it because I hurt my campaign but to finally not get in the plane dealer after months of trying. But I know the gatekeeping. And so my take on it is this was Tucker's show. This was his opportunity to increase his popularity with his audience. If you watched um, Lindsey Graham did a, a stump for Trump like 15 minutes from where he lives in South Carolina, this was like three weeks ago, he got, this is Republican voters. Yep, I remember. He got booed for six minutes straight by Republicans at a Trump rally, 15 minutes from where he lives in his state, South Carolina. So I think this was all about Tucker. I don't think Tucker cares about these other candidates. Uh, I think it's easy to tear apart any candidate. For me personally, whether it's at this point, whether it's Bernie Sanders, or AOC, or whether it's Tim Scott or Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis, it's very easy for me to tear these candidates apart. Um, they're disassociated with us, as we've talked about in Ohio. They don't stand for the things we stand for. Uh, they would tell you to vote yes on issue one. Um, so that's my take. Tucker's gatekeeping, gatekeeping well, um, gaining in his popularity, and helping Trump. So I, I think, so here's some basic things. What, to, re, to answer what you said, I think you're right. Uh, Tucker did an excellent job. Um, he's kind of a little weird guy. Now that he's more like outside of the Fox thing, he's kind of like trying to show his personality and try to be, he's kind of a weird dude to be honest with you. But he, he asked excellent questions. He was very knowledgeable, very informed, very nuanced on, on the policies and the decision-making of each individual candidate. And he threw it in their faces and he said, well, what about this? And here's what I saw throughout the all, can all the candidates. And I, say, and I say the same thing to Marianne Williamson and RFK right now. This looks like fucking amateur hour. They are, were, were woefully unprepared. Um, look, you're running for president of the United States. And I don't understand, like, honestly, Vivek was probably one of the best prepared. Uh, this dude literally sits down in a room with people and, and, and talks and answers questions all day long, it looks like. Everybody else thinks they either know it all or they just went in there unprepared. And they had no clue how to actually effect, effectively answer concisely what this guy was asking. And even when it came to things that they personally think, for example, they asked Asa Hutchinson, what do you pray for? 
what do you pray? What do you pray? And he was just yeah, like, and Asa was like, uh, I was like, bro, this is a 30 second killer answer right there. And you could have absolutely knocked it out of the park, but he kind of like babbled for like three, four fucking minutes until he moved into some kind of, kind of like loose policy that he wanted to make at the end. And I say, why am I wrapping RFK in there? Is because RFK is doing the same thing. Cornell West just struggled <laughs> on CNN. Cornell West, it, it's like nobody is coming, everybody doesn't know where they fit in and, or how they really want to want to really um, appeal to the American people right now. And the only person who is doing it, I think, effectively is Donald Trump. And I, that, is, that is not what I want, but it is the truth. And I, I, I'm very excited that somebody would come out and, and primary a sitting president in the, their own party, like RFK and Marianne Williamson. What I am seeing is that they just don't know what the fuck they're trying to do here when it comes to create a groundswell of motivation within the base. And RFK is honestly a, a good example of like, yeah, a lot of Republicans are liking him. He's getting a lot of Republican airplay. A lot of independents might like him, but the fucking party doesn't like him. The Democrats that, that, that he needs to win a primary is he's not playing their fucking hits. Here's what I always compare it to. We've talked about this. Here's, and I'm, and I'm going to say it again. Here's what I compare it to. If, if you go to a wedding, and I don't know what your favorite band is or whatever. If you get married, you're not playing the, the Brown and Groom's favorite songs. You're not playing the Killers or, or the Black Keys and stuff like that. You're playing the hits for the fucking crowd, right? You go in there, you play the hits to make sure that everybody's happy and they understand what you're talking about. And sometimes if you're really astute, you don't even know what songs they like, but you pull them out of that cut and they're like, oh, that was our jam. I haven't heard this for a while, right? Those are the best DJs. They're like, that was my jam. I've heard everybody. Because the, every, every DJ is going to play a little bit softer now or... Or, you know, those kind Shut of things. Shut up and dance with me. All of that's going to be played at the wedding. But if you pull out that one cut that nobody, everybody knows that they forgot about, that's, and that's what Trump is doing. He's, he's pulling out those cuts. that He's a DJ that's pulling out those cuts that everybody forgot about. And he's like, hey, do you hear, remember this song? They're like, oh, shit. And, and so I think that RFK is off base. I think these guys are just coming out with amateur hour when it comes to these questioning and these interviews when they have the ability to really shine. Vivek is very polished, not very polished. He's polished enough to be a standout. He's comfortable. To be standout. Um, Trump is just honestly nailing it every fucking time. And I, I, I just saw, I, I just saw well, a, a, complete, a, a complete circus. One, one thing I forget, getting back to the circus, one name I forgot to mention was Pence. And man, Mike Pence looked arguably the worst of them all. And and this guy just doesn't get it. And, and, and he says, uh, you know, Tucker Asimov is funny in Ukraine. He says, but if you drive through a lot of American cities, you know, we have serious concerns here domestically. And his answer to that right. was literally, Those that's, are, not my, that's not my concern. And, and, and in all fairness, I've, I've watched multiple debates on this. And I saw a lot of people point out, like, he was probably referring to the re previous question about, uh, about the Ukraine uh, independence and stuff. He's like, that's not my concern. Because then he said, "This is my. I want to protect the American people." So, I'd have to. I, I, man, the way I saw it, it just looked so, so stupid. So exactly. That, that's why I say this is amateur hour. Okay. Because I think logically, Pence answered the question that he put the, the statement that Tucker said about. Well, what about all this stuff in Ukraine? He's like, I don't. Basically, that's not my concern about Ukraine. I care about the American people. But since Tucker said the Ukraine, then what about the American people? This he said, that's not my concern. Yeah. <laughs> Logically, it's the Ukraine thing he was re he's referencing. Amateur hour again. Amateur hour. Amateur and, hour. And, and, to, and to rebut a little bit of what you said, 
this is the guy Donald Trump picked to be his vice president if he died. He's in his 70s, and he picked Mike Pence. And it's just like, and that's right now when I see Bernie and I see AOC endorse Biden before, long before there could be debates, long before the three candidates have gotten much of their platforms out there, things like that, I say, wait a minute. How, you guys are anti-democracy, like this issue one issue in Ohio. You're anti saying, let the voters decide. You know, that's why one of my favorite Trump things that he ever did was, it was like Kansas Senate or something. There were two guys running with the name Dan. Like they, they, it was Republican versus Republican, Dan versus Dan. I can't remember the guys, that, the, their actual name. And he came out and he was gonna release this big endorsement. And then he came out and he said, for the Kansas Senate race, I give my full heart and endorsement yeah. to Dan. And it's like, let the people of Kansas decide. Yeah, that was, that was, that was honestly really smart. Yeah. That was funny and smart. Funny and smart. And so there's a lack of leadership in this country. You don't have to hear Biden spit out these horrific answers because they're, they're kind of hiding Biden, right? Because we know he can't talk. And so we have a lack of leadership and we have a lack of candidates. And, and to my point about my Cleveland mayoral race, not many people liked any of us. And the plane dealer and the city club and the donors, the richest people, they decide who's on the ballot. They decide who's on the ballot. And so forget about who's going to win. They, they, they define the race. And these are the clowns we're going to I, I, I have to go back and say that Chris Christie is also very polished. Chris Christie is very polished. You don't like him. Or I him. didn't see that. Did he interview him? Because I, I didn't see that. I mean, just in general. Okay. Like, when you ask him something, he understands how, how to answer it. And I guess, and so what I am really, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I've been really pondering uh, RFK's run and the media and the press he's getting. And I'm not going to say he's going to get a fair shake by the media and the press. He's not. You know? I disagree, but. You think he's, gonna, he's getting a fair shake? Well, I think he's getting kind of the Trump treatment where, where one thing you said so about is, Which the is a hits, fair shake? No, it's, it's a they're not giving him a fair shake, so I'm gonna vote for him. It, it's, it's kind of this reverse, this reverse psychology type thing. Right, 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 right. And, and so that, that makes Trump very popular. Right. And, and so that's what he's getting. You, you're, you're seeing CNN and ABC either not have him on or when they have him on, edit the interview or to, um, kind, of, kind of go hard at him and say, hey, your family doesn't even like you, you know, your family's so against. And then you see him on <coughs> Rogan. Yeah, and all this who stuff. gives a fuck? That's not going to win his primary. No, there are more people listening to Rogan than there the, are watching CNN. He's not winning the Democratic primary, bro. Yeah, but I'm just saying, it's not that he's not getting a fair shake. I think he is getting a fair shake. Okay, okay, fine. I, then I would say that you're okay. If you're talking about the amount of airtime that he's getting and, pe and people listening to him, he's, he's getting a fair shake. He's getting out there. I, okay, fine. I will concede to that. What I am saying is that he has an up. What do I want to, What do I really want to say here? I guess I guess my biggest issue is with his messaging. Um, That's fair. That's and they are and they are painting him. They that when I say they, I don't mean Elon Musk and David Sachs and Rogan. I mean, you know, if you're a 70 year old still watching three, five, and eight, you know what I mean, and, and CNN, they are telling you that he is an idiot, a cra uh, crazy person, idiot. You know what I mean? And so uh, the. He does have a problem so what, what, in that regard. And so, for what the is, and, and so what does everybody do? Everybody says that, um, well, we're, you're just not listening to him. And but that's the problem. When you say, like, oh, and I, I appreciate the long form podcast, I appreciate him doing long form. But the thing that Trump does well is he knows how to take sound bites and kick them out there. And that's what the media has, is these sound bites. And his, even his long form, you can sit with him for an hour, but you'll get through 40 fucking different topics because he knows how to just 
Boom, 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 boom soundbite. Trump is the king of earned media. His campaign team is really creative. Um, he is, does a lot of stand-up comedian stuff. And I think what a lot of his fans are pissed off about now is, hey, they're censoring him. Now, now when he does something, it's only on True Social and CNN isn't putting all his tweets up and all this stuff. So, so it's, it's a um, reaction, uh, you know, a reaction upon a reaction and, and all that stuff. I think you're exactly right. Anyway. Anyway, so I, and so when I see this, I say I see Chris Christie, I see Vivek, uh, they're pretty good at that. Uh, again, I am very happy that somebody is primarying a sitting president because I think that that needs to happen more often. Um, but Kennedy's just, I think, being lost in, uh, lost in it, and, and he's, he's allowing this. And you say that he's getting the media that he deserves, fine, but he's getting lost in all this. He has to figure out a way to. I think we've talked to him a lot. I think he's been in front of a lot of eyeballs and ears, more so than Marianne Williamson and Cornell West and Joe Biden, for that matter. You know, you're not, you're basically not allowed to hear Joe Biden. Way more than Joe Biden. I don't even know what, I, fuck. Yeah, right, right. He might so, as well be campaigning for his basement again. Again, yes, he did it the first time because of COVID and they're keeping him in the basement. So, uh, but I do think there's a will to vote against both um, Biden and Trump. I think people don't want the clown show again. Um, but you're right. It's got to come from one of these competitors. And I think you're right. I don't think, um, unfortunately we got it and I'll throw another curveball in there. There could be some figure that's declared to run for president and is running and we've never even heard about, and we won't hear about because that's kind of what happened to me in mayor of Cleveland that I sent the plane dealer press release after press release after press release. I can't get out there and meet every person individually. You know, at some point you need to be able to buy commercials on major platforms like Twitter and Facebook and CNN or whatever, where people are watching and get in the media as a equal, as a person with a platform. You know what I mean? And so uh, the gatekeeping, and I thought the Tucker with these candidates, including Mike Pence, was something to behold. I, I was amazed by how bad they were, just like you. I think the reason why I say uh, I am very critical about their messaging is because how critical I am about my messaging as a candidate. <clears throat> I remember that I did a interview that never was released. I'm not going to say who it was because somebody's going to look for it and it's, it was, it's probably bad. And I was just talking to um, Sarah, my girlfriend the other day, or literally the other day, because like, it dawned on me. The reason why he didn't release it is because he was sparing me the embarrassment because it, was a, it wasn't a good interview. It just wasn't good, you know? Um, and well, I did a lot of that. I'm a horrible it, public speaker. I'm, I'm a great public speaker. Yeah, you're much better than me. But the thing is, is you, if you don't have a message, you sound fucking dumb. And you, if you don't know how to construct your message in a concise way um, it, that really hits, then you don't make a point when you're doing the interview. And so during that interview, I, it was the first interview I've ever given. It was, I, was, I was a young candidate. Um, I didn't do much public speaking at the time, and uh, I wasn't practiced. This was my practice. He gave me that practice. He didn't release the interview, and it was horrible. And so this is what kind of like I see with that. If I were to do it, do it over, I would have done a hundred of these interviews before I actually sat down with this guy who should have, if he put it out, would have been a very big get for me. Um, but he honestly spared me it, to be honest with you. And so this is what I see with all these candidates. All these candidates have not done the practice or done the work. Even though they're experienced, they haven't done the practice or the work. That, that's very interesting. Um, that's incredible insight, I think. RFK was an environmental lawyer his whole life. I guess he was a party boy for a long time, you know, and an environmental lawyer. I, I'm a lawyer myself. Uh, Cornel West is a philosophy professor. These Republican guys, a lot of them are businessmen, you know. So 
I heard Cornell West um, speak for Bernie and Nina, and he was phenomenal. But on his interview on CNN the other day, I think he was horrible. And so there's a lot of nuance and, and, and a lot of it's different to get up there with your speech or, you know, hit, hit, play your hits, as you will. Like when you get to like I did a lot of debates, your two minutes for your opening and closing, you can really prep that out. I'm like, okay, I got it set for one minute, 55 seconds. I've practiced it. I know my hits. Then when the questions start coming, they ask a lot of questions that aren't in your wheelhouse. They're just not your hits. You know what I mean? And so it's not that you're unknowledgeable about them. It's that, first of all, these issues are all nuanced. Second of all, you haven't practiced answering that exact question or talking about that exact issue in a 15 second answer type format or something like this. So it's very hard. We're two candidates. Like I said, I really struggle with public speaking. Uh, it's very hard. Applaud these people for running, even if you think they're kind of puppets no, or cronies or something 100%. like that. Yeah, applaud them for running and don't expect perfection. And the worst speaker of the bunch at this point is the sitting president. So. <laughs> right. No. It went one hundred percent. I think that you're trying to create uh, like a grassroots thing with these with these um, these debates. You're trying to create the, the 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 notice of the media. And if you have that opportunity, you should really take it. And again, Cornell West and people who are on, on CNN and whatever. Um, I was on you know MSNBC and. Uh, oh, you were on MSNBC. Oh man, and, I didn't even know that. And honestly, it was it was good good experiences. And what I realized to this, and I think this could be like a, a pointer for a lot of people, is that. You're, you can't prep for every question, but what you have to figure out is, is what is the basis of your platform and how to take every question back to your platform. And if you, if you can take any basis to your, back to your platform or a key or core foundational um, uh, bullet point of your campaign in your message, that's how you pivot. Because you can't answer. And if, you, and if you're, especially if you're going to have like a big, you know, quick, you know, and, and honestly, it's really intimidating going on like a news and they're like, okay, counting down five, four, three, two, one. And I'm sitting here with Matthew Deemer. You're just like, okay, here it's on. We're going to go break or break, you know? So you really have to figure out how to, how to pivot. And they haven't figured that out yet. And, and that's my strategy because like you said, you don't know what people are going to ask you. I, you have to honestly sit in a room with your team for hours and hours and they just ask you questions and you fucking answer it, you record it, you, you listen back to it and you do it again until you get stuff polished. But if you struggle and they ask you things that you weren't expecting, what's my policies, what's my foundation and my platform, what's my core values, and you pivot it straight into that. And, and I think you can, I actually think voters like it. I think you can say, I, I have to do more research on that topic. It's not ideal, but I do think there's a, a big part of the population that respects it. You know, and RFK has been really good when they, when they ask him about the family thing. He's like, well, do you agree with your family on every issue? Of course not, you know what I mean? So there are some things that hit people home, make you feel like, oh yeah, yeah, he's right about that. I get that, I can, I can respect that, I can respect that. But it would be better if we had, a, 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 we had something that didn't seem like the clown show. But the Tucker thing, that seemed like the clown show. You know, I think when, I think when it comes to like certain questions, okay, and I'm, let, me, let me take this uh, you know, a little further into my ideas of, of this. There are basic questions that you need to have answers for. Border security. If you don't have that answer right out, uh, right out of your pocket, you, what are you doing? You have to think about these things. You know they're going to ask about some, certain yeah. questions. Um, other questions, it kind of shows you that if they ask you personal questions and you don't have a good, correct answer or you don't look like you are being authentic, you are being inauthentic. And, and that's what I kind of saw with, within those Tucker, a lot of those Tucker personal questions is people sat there and pondered like, 
how do I want to position this answer to make me look a certain way? Instead of I going like, and instead of going like, hey, this is what it is. I'm being authentic. This is the person I am. And people, I think DeSantis really struggles with that. People and people see through that yeah. bullshit. And and so I think there's I think there's multiple things. Know your platform. Have the answers ready for specific you know um, big questions that you know somebody's gonna ask. It's okay to say I don't know right. for some things because sometimes you miss some, but be fucking authentic. Right, because what I'll say is I, I did horrible, right? I got 1.6% of the vote, but at almost every debate or, or town hall or topic meeting that me and the other candidates went to, I'd have some random person come up to me at the end of it and be like, wow, you're so genuine. You're so authentic. I got that like every single time. And I can tell you a ton of times I sounded like an idiot or I said I need to do more research on that. You know what I mean? Because it was the truth. Like it was just the truth. So so people yeah. can see th they do like when you don't kind of script about, oh, you know, uh, when I was... When I was 13, I really got, you know, all that bullshit personal stuff that you see that from a lot of these fake candidates, you know, or I'm the son of this and I'm the, I'm the daughter of that. And I, it really molded into me. Blah, blah, blah. It's all this like canned film stuff. Like, you know, like you're, like you're, like you just had 30 takes on a documentary. Why would you need 30 takes to tell, to talk about your upbringing? Just talk about it. Right. <laughs> Right. No, I understand that. You know, and to be perfectly honest with you, that's uh, where money comes in a lot with these candidates. It's like if you're a candidate on a budget and you have to figure out how to script this yourself and uh, you have like your friends or family come over there that are spending their time to and they're not professionals to try to, you know, Help debate, practice. debate prep with you. you it's, 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 it's almost like you, everybody's shooting for the hip and you're trying to hit a bullseye and there's no way you fucking can because you're blindfolded. And, and that's where that's where the money comes in. You can buy the professionals to say, hey. Help me with debate prep. Hey, how you do this? And, and consultants, honestly, consultants, bro, they and act they, blue and run for something. Consultants. Look, they, they, they. Honestly, when it comes to these certain things, they will drill you down. And like a real proper one will, will not let you be lazy. Will not take your shit. Will understand the topics of the day. Will get a, a research company to do the research, put them in a document, and they'll fucking drill you on it. And so, but you're paying for that. That's gonna be tens of thousands you're, you're of dollars. You're raising money to then pay for that. To then pay for that, yeah. to make sure that you're ready for that debate. And if you're just, you know, a candidate that's raising a couple thousand bucks and, you know, trying their, their best, you it's up to you to be the political everything. Exactly. You are the, 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 the strategist, you're the strategist. The strategist, you are the, you know, the, the, the researcher, you are the polling company, you are the... <laughs> amazing. Yeah, that, it's amazing insight. People don't understand. There's a reason why I sound like an, some may call it an idiot, others may call it a regular guy, and these other six candidates who have hundreds of thousands of dollars at their expense sound, sound like they're filming a documentary <laughs> on the perfect take, you know. Because uh, that, that's exactly how it's, it's scripted. Did it. yeah, exactly, and that, that's, that's, that's true. I mean, it's same with me. Um, you know, we were on a budget, and you know, we raised about $300,000 for our congressional campaign, which was definitely not enough. Um, congressional campaigns, you need millions. Um, and so, you know, we had to really figure out how to do this on a budget. It was me and a couple, a couple guys. I had, you know, I had a small team. We had about a dozen people, but still we had the people who were doing the research. We didn't have, we couldn't pay the consultants because they're just absolutely ridiculous money. Um, but it was just us trying to figure it out. And yeah, I mean, that's when you have to have you you could tell that the the difference when it comes to the budgets when one hundred percent one hundred percent.
Anyway, Ross, I think we've, stuff. we've talked enough today. What do you think? I, I, I hope that for the three people listening to this, they... That, that we had really 12 last it. week, sir. Oh, nice, nice. Yes, I don't know how and much we haven't even, We still haven't advertised it, which I love, uh, because that's the thing. Like the People don't understand that money and politics consult an operation. They don't, you don't, not enough people understand that. And so hopefully that's why I think we started doing this. We both ran and we didn't get any, not any, we did get some support, but not near with these kind of, you know, politicians that aren't there to change anything get you know what i mean well i think that one thing people have to understand is okay let me talk about fundraising for a minute fundraising isn't how much money you can raise it's how much money the party likes you and how much money they raise for from the party to you so if you're if you're not rich yourself and you don't have a very wealthy network yourself and you're trying to go out there i think anybody can go out there and if you're running a congressional race or a state rep race and raise in state rep maybe tens of thousands of dollars just by calling people and asking for money. In a congressional race like I did, just asking for money, I raised about three hundred thousand dollars. Right? I think it's really good. And so, like that's, I think that's doable. How do you get to the millions? Right. And when you the way that you get to the millions, I mean, obviously, was this talk to the the. The I put my work in raise could be anywhere for a couple hundred thousand dollars to maybe high a couple hundred thousand dollars, right? Just because of the, the district. Say you're in a blue-leading district, you're going to be the guy. You're going to get money because they want to be on your good favor, right? Or a red-leading district, you're going to get the money from people just by cold calling them and say, hey, I'm in a plus 10 Republican district, going to be your congressman. I won the primary, so uh, can I have some money? They're probably going to give it to you. These lead fundraisers are very are in, in, the, in bubble circles that most of us don't know. They are well known, and it, you're only going to get the millions if you have the support of the top-down structure of like the DNC, Pelosi. That's the second thing. What a lot of people don't understand is is that there everybody has like campaign or dues to the caucus, uh, if, even if you're a state house or in the federal level. But also you have money transferring from campaign to campaign. So if you have, you know, Mitch McConnell over there or friends of Mitch McConnell, friends of Mitch McConnell or friends of Chuck Schumer or friends of Sherrod Brown, they're going to send you a check. And if Sherrod Brown could talk to all his friends, they're all going to send you a check. So that means uh, all 430 plus, um, you know, representatives and their their campaigns or the friends of the, the senators, the PACs that, you know, go with them. You can get just by a thousand dollar checks of each of them. You can get quite substantial amount of money. That's where the money comes in. People really don't understand. That's how the money moves around the system. It's not the that this individual really has all of this weight. It's the it's the De- Democratic Party calls out to all the people that are part of the caucus and says, "Hey, let's get this guy some money or or girl some money, and and throw it into their campaign." And then of course they have connections to the PACs. If 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 it's like whatever PAC, stand for something, fight for something, PAC or or, or, you know, and then they start giving you money and yeah. Unfortunately, yes. Unfortunately, yes. So, and then yeah. that money just moves around, yep. moves around. And then when, and then when you win and you have some money left in your bank account, they're going to give you the call and say, Hey, mm-hmm. we have this person. It's your turn to help. We have this person running in person. Texas. We have this person running in California. Mm-hmm. Please send them a thousand dollar checks each yep. from your campaign for your, for your friends from Matt Deemer. Mm-hmm. And you go, okay, thank you very much. And you write them a check and you send it all off to them. And the next thing you know on their campaign, they go, oh, we raised $1.5 million this quarter. And you're just like, hey. It's, it, it's, <laughs> it's honestly not far, it's different, but it's not far off from a pyramid scheme. Uh, pretty, that's a pretty, yeah. It's, it's got different, it. but it's, it's the same. It's a network where, you know, again, yeah, you, you tap your 
50 people, Kingpin taps their 50 people, Kingpin taps their 50 people, and then you trade it around. You, like say, ongoing ongoing funneling of money to the big money campaigns, the million dollar campaigns. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's weird. All right, Ross.